Hi, this is Carl. We're excited to announce Microsoft's newest developer service called Azure Pipelines, a fully managed CI-CD platform for any app, language, or cloud. Azure Pipelines is integrated with GitHub through their CI Marketplace and free for open source projects with 10 concurrent jobs and unlimited build minutes for their cloud-hosted Linux, Mac OS, and Windows agents. Learn all the details by visiting azure.com pipelines. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. And we're in Sydney, Australia. Indeed. In front of a live studio audience. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna be talking to uh, Joe here. And uh, uh, how are you, man? I'm fine. Uh, good to be down here again. It's the first time we've been together in Australia since I think Tech 2009, Ed, right? 2009. So yeah. it's been a long time. It's great to be back together and uh, and making shows. And of course, we have this fun dynamic of we make a podcast, which is edited, right. but we're also live streaming it. So. Everybody watching, you're about to see the sausage being made. That's right. So for the live stream people, you guys get to see our mistakes. But when we edit the .NET Rock show, we'll we'll take them out. Yeah. So seamless, mm. perfect. Our editors make us sound smart. Yeah, they're good. They they're are very good. very good. That's an astounding feat. Uh, anyway, let's roll the crazy music for Better Know a Framework. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Uh, I went uh, looking to do an Alexa skill last week. Oh. And specifically for music to flow by. Okay. Because I was hanging out with Richard Morris down in Canberra, and he said, you know, I'd really like to say, Alexa, play music to flow by and have those tunes come on, or music to code by, because he's a coder. Nice. And so I was like, yeah, let's see if I could do that. It only took me a few hours. And the reason that it was so easy, hmm. Tim Hewer. Tim Hewer? Tim Hewer wrote a library called Alexa.net. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Alexa.net is, is an abstraction that um, just allows, it makes it so much easier to use web API as your, you know, your hosting environment for your skill. Awesome. So, it literally took me a few hours and uh, I was able to get a something that played and skipped and went to the next one and repeated and even put in a little after the first three. Hey, if you really like this, you know, think about subscribing. Cool. So uh, thank you, Tim Hewer. It's Alexa.net. And if you want to learn about it, go to 1584.pwop.me. Awesome. That's what I got. Good one. Who's talking to us, man? Grabbed a comment off a of show 1557, the one we did with one John Alexander, who's here with us in Australia somewhere. Yeah, he is. With he? a broken wrist. Oh, he had a fall. Oh, no. <laughs> it happens. Uncle and that was a show we, we talked to. Yes. Uncle Owen has got a bad <laughs> wing. Uh, that was a show we did back in June of 2018. We talked about ML.net. Right. right. I know we're going to talk a little neural net today. So I thought this was relevant. And uh, especially with your reference to Music to Code By, because uh, Eric Stendhal said, have you ever tried playing Music to Code By to a neural net to get into the flow? I guess to get the neural net into the flow? What? <laughs> I wonder if we could train a computer to produce unlimited music to code by tracks. Oh, no. That would be an Why interesting stop, challenge. Stop reading that. <laughs> it, it's an interesting <laughs> idea. Like If you played enough music to a neural net, would it play the music back to you? Oh, I'm having fear of being automated into oblivion. There you go. 
Uh, Eric is a regular listener. We've had, a, we've, I've read comments from him before, and this was a hilarious one. So thank you, Eric. And a copy of the Music to Code by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. Or you could just have your neural net simulator make it for you. Make it for you. That'd yeah. be good. Save some time. And uh, definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We add him to our playlist. <laughs> okay. Ah, that I like it. Wasn't funny, but it was appropriate. Yep. Okay. And uh, let's introduce our guest, Joe Albahari. He's an O'Reilly author and uh, the inventor of LinkPad. Very wow. good. Very cool. He's written seven books on C Sharp and Link. And uh, including the upcoming C Sharp 7.0 in a nutshell, he speaks regularly at conferences and user groups like this one, NBC mm-hmm. Sydney, and has been a C Sharp MVP for nine years running. Welcome, Joe. Welcome. LinkPad is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yes. we're big fans, man. I can't believe you haven't been on the show before. Like, we should have been talking about that ages ago. Yes, I believe I was here once before, and um, uh, in the, uh, but yeah, we should yeah. be here more often. So, what does LinkPad and neural nets have to do with each other? Well, li- LinkPad is a code scratch pad, and it really encourages experimentation and playing. Um, and neural nets are, are grateful for experimentation and playing. Mm-hmm. So, why wouldn't somebody make a console app versus uh, use LinkPad? What's the benefit of doing that? Um, benefit: you get immediate feedback with with uh, LinkPad. You get to see the results in a, a rich format. You got a, a dump method that takes just about anything and displays it nicely. Mm. And you got full auto completion as well nice. and tooling. So it's a sort of an interpreter. It's a. It actually does use the compiler, C sharp compiler, but it gives you an experience. It's more like you'd get with a interpreted language. Yeah. Yeah. So the line, that kind of line interactive. You know, the way we used to program all the time. Really. That's right. Yeah. You just hit F five, and that's it. It's it's yeah. it's right there, and you can keep programming. And yeah, I I I like to use the practice lambdas because I'm notoriously bad at them. Mm. So <laughs> that's a a great way to uh, just how how does that work again? How's, how am I going to figure this out? Yeah, which I think was that the original intent of LinkPad. It was really actually good. no. It was it was like almost like a, a pivot because originally it was for um, really for writing uh, uh, querying a database in Link instead of SQL. That okay. was that was the primary use case, and it was just a nice bonus that you could also use it as a general purpose scratch pad for C sharp or F sharp or VB. Mm. Um, but then that became the that became the main the main use case. It's just and people it's, tinkering with it. So we still get back to. Making a neural net. So, what is there libraries we need to introduce? I mean, I mentioned ML.net from the comment. Is that something you use? Um, well, the the uh, whole idea with the presentation I gave was that um, well, there's nothing wrong with libraries. Libraries are the are the way to go if you need to get something something done. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with the libraries is they're black boxes. Right. They hide it all away from you. So, if you're really interested in understanding the uh, the the fundamentals and the principles, the best way to go is is to write something simple yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that way you you really get to know when something doesn't work or you break something you you, you learn a lot more than if you're you're just tinkering on your configuration and set up with some libraries. That's cool. And so, how does one go about making a neural net from scratch? I mean, I know that's it's, an open-ended question, but we might as well it's, start it's somewhere. Surpri- if if you've got nothing to start with, it is surprisingly difficult because there there are dozens of of web pages and tutorials on on how neural nets work and how the, the people, a lot of people like to explain it in a way they think is simple. You you can read through all that, 
start with a start with an empty link pad query and try to write one yourself and you'll be amazed how what you write probably won't work you right. won't be able to train it and you realize you don't actually understand it yeah i think that pretty much wraps up uh, and and sort of encapsulates everything that i've my experience of of trying to do those complex kinds of things it's hard yeah yes so where's the happy medium between using a library that's a black box and rolling your own where do you start um you start with you start rolling something rolling your own i believe if if you're interested in understanding how it works and once you got to the point where you've had a lot of fun with it and you understand how it works that's a good and you've got actually a, a job you want to do that's mm -hmm. a good time to use a, a library and then you know all of those those levers and knobs will mean something to you when you use it and then mm. when you change a knob and it doesn't work anymore you'll kind of know why right all of those things will be meaningful is there like a quintessential set of data that you would use to start understanding this stuff like stock prices or something um well the data set that i've used for the um for the demo i've used two data sets one is a, a very simple manufactured data set of ones and zeros in in making a nand gate that's one of the simplest things you can do is and you only need one neuron for that you don't need a net you can take one neuron use a very simple activation function you can train it to, to work as a NAND gate and you can make that data what yourself. A NAND gate, it's, um, it's a simple logic gate. So if, um, both of the inputs, uh, are one, it outputs, um, a zero, otherwise the other way around. Um, so. So if need, if they both are, are zero, the output is one. If they're both one, the output is zero. That's correct and what if one of them is yes. one and the other is zero um it's basically it's it's think of an and gate right think of an and function yep. and then not it and not it basically yes so both either both on both on it's off one or none on yes. and it's on that's correct okay yes. so so it seems like a really simple thing it to seems do simple. as a code um exercise i mean that would be an easy function to write for example but mm. how does how do you get from data training data to to an answer that's accurate well, you, Neuronet has, um, an inputs and a bias, actually. So in this case, a neuron would have two inputs. So you start off by setting those inputs and biases to small random numbers. So when you put the data in, it's going to give you the wrong result. It's going to give you a, um, you put the data in, you'll get, you'll get, uh, rubbish out. But then you ask the question, what small change can I make to those inputs and bias? To, to make it a little bit less likely to be wrong, to get a little bit closer to the right value. And you just keep repeating that over and over again. You keep more and more training samples through that, and it, it gradually adjusts the weights and biases till it gives you the right, the right answer. And in the case of this Nandy example, you were literally talking about a single neuron? That's a single neuron. That's the example I use for a single neuron. Right, I mean, now, you can't get simpler, really. You can't get simpler than that. And, and when, you, when you can write that code, when you can understand that, um, then that's most of what you need to to train a neural network. Hmm. So I thought a neuron, you know, when we're talking about a brain model, there there's two neurons together that fire in the synapse and all of that stuff. Hmm. That's not necessary in order to. The artificial neurons are inspired by the. Um, natural neurons in the brain but they're, they're not quite the same okay. so with an artificial neuron you can it can work just on its own you can have one neuron with inputs and an output right. and it can you can train that on its own and is it just a binary state is that um, the whole idea it's you can choose so depending on the activation function you use it can either be uh have a binary state or it can have a continuous state it can output real numbers hmm. 
Interesting. And so what does the activation function look like? Are you, are you writing in C-sharp? Yes, you write it in C-sharp. The most popular activation function, I can tell you exactly what it is. If x is greater than zero, it's x. Otherwise, it's zero. Simple as that. That's called a, a you know, that's the line of code that I was missing. <laughs> <laughs> the activation functions that, that we tend to use nowadays are remarkably simple. Mm -hmm. And partly because uh, for performance, because we to get good results, say with, with large um, image training exercises, you need tens of thousands to millions of images. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you, the networks itself have thousands of more neurons. So the, the, the um, performance becomes an issue. They can take a long time to train. So they try to look for what is the most efficient, the simplest way that we can, we can make these neurons that can work. Mm. That's cool. So, I mean, I love the simple example. I got to think as it gets more complex, you, you kind of want to start from something. Like the, to me, this seems like a, almost a cut and paste operation. Like you'll have a few examples you can work from, mm. and then you can tailor it. They're close to what you're trying to do and help you tailor into it. Yes, I mean the next example I use is when we connect create a neural network, um, a two layer network. Is the uh, a popular database called the MNIST uh, digits training mm -hmm. database? So that's fifty thousand handwritten digits with another 10,000 for testing. Um, and that, that's very well publicized um, as to uh, what uh, over the decades, that, that's remained constant. And so you can see the progress of neural networks and how well they've, they've done with that and what kind of networks give you what results. So that's the one I use for the exact. It's a very popular one. And, it's, and it is quite good because it does something useful and real that you, you couldn't otherwise do. It, it's you a recognition. A handwritten right. digit in there yeah. and it tells you what it is. And it can do that with quite, quite good accuracy. Wow. And like I said, we've been able to do this for many years, but it's a test case for it's getting simpler, easier. Like, can you train on fewer examples now? Like, what, what's gotten better? Um, over the years, th there's quite a number of things that have gotten better. You, you can use fewer examples, and, and one of the mechanisms that enables that is something called pre-training, where you, rather than starting off with a, um, an empty in your network, you start off with a network that's already been trained with possibly millions, let's say, in the case of image recognition, it's mm -hmm. been trained with millions of images, of general purpose images. So um, if that's a, a deep network with lots of layers, and that's been pre-trained, that can be your starting point for doing a, a new training exercise you don't need as much data um, to, to make that work if right. you've got that pre-trained network. Now, you, I mean, you mentioned sort of briefly playing with the training, just like a two-layer network. What about these sort of deep networks? How deep are we talking? Like, what, what does that look like today? They, they, can, they can add literally nowadays dozens of layers into hmm. the networks because they, they're using different architectures like convolutional um, layers. And this is a um, you know, work in progress. There's, there's always new innovations. In, in that and they're coming up with cleverer and cleverer ways to make these deep networks trainable so i mean because you can always create more layers very easily that that's 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 not the problem the problem is how do you train them because what tends to happen is when you add more layers is um that the training doesn't converge it, it kind of gets confused you're making it almost too smart in a way right does that mean that there are use cases that lend themselves to neural networks better than others? I mean, because there's all kinds of machine learning other than That's right. neural networks. Yes, neural networks is just one branch of machine learning, and mm -hmm. there's other ones that um, I've not gone into that um, can also be um, can work very well. So are there things that, like recognition of handwriting and all that stuff is an yes. obvious one, and prediction of data based on past data, you know, trends right. and weather and those kinds of things. Yes. But um, can you give me an example of something that 
wouldn't work well with a neural network and maybe why? Um, I think some, um, when you're looking for, for some patterns in data, if you're doing unsupervised learning, mm -hmm. I think yeah. that, that's, that's the case. But I, I, I don't know a lot about that, to be honest. Yeah. Unsupervised I mean, learning I mean, is when you don't have like the answers. The predictive ana analytics tends to be more the mathematical mm. constructs than the neural net constructs. Like that, mm. you know, you could generally write predictions mathematically fairly well. You don't need to do training. Well, I remember the, the big hot thing was um, stock prices, right? You mm -hmm. download stock market data and add it to your neural network, and then it was supposedly able to pick stock winners. And, uh, you know, people went crazy over that stuff for a while. I don't know how accurate it was, but horse racing was another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know which one of those actually make the most sense. Yeah. What's, what's a good strategy? Uh, you mentioned convoluted network, uh, neural nets in it. And the other word that came to mind was Jeffrey Hinton's backpropagation. That was sort of the breakthrough a few years ago. Um, well, uh, backpropagation is, is just describes how you train um, right. uh, almost any neural network. So it's the process of going from, um, an, uh, the correct answer and now looking mm -hmm. at how it deviates you, you, the answer at output from the answer it should have output and then looking at the at the errors and then the slopes of those loss functions and just uh, making those changes propagate backwards mm. because when when you fire a network it goes forwards from left to right from the input to the output yeah. but when you want to train it you start off with where it was wrong and then you start make adjustments from the output back towards the, the input neurons mm. so the, um, that propagation that's what it describes how you make those adjustments and that's what we did in our um in our example in the in the session we, we went through that back propagation so is that a bit of code you've written to back propagate yes it's, it's relatively simple code too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. so i mean I've, yeah. i'm just fascinated this idea of link pad and, and working that space and sort of building up piece by piece what what does the trained neural net look like? Is this just a file? The trained point? network is the um, would represent the state of all of the neurons in the network, the okay. long-term state. The state comprises the weights of all your interconnections plus the biases of all your neurons. Okay. And sort of the value that it takes for it to propagate a value forward. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we're going to pause here just for a brief message that's very important. Hi, this is Richard. The Dev Intersection Fall Show this year will be December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Hotel. The lineup is awesome. Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, Scott Hunter, yes, all the Scots. But also a ton of great industry speakers and some insight on what's coming up in the world of .NET. You know, Core3 is bringing client technology like WinForms and WPF into play. Could it be time to migrate your existing desktop apps to this new technology? Come learn more at Dev Intersection, December 3rd to 6th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. Go to devintersection.com to register and use the code .NETROCKS to get a discount. And we're back. It's .NETROCKS, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell, and we're talking neural networks with Joe Albahari. And uh, just sort of scratching the surface about how these things work, because I find that I, I don't understand how they work. And I think maybe our listeners might want a little more insight into what exactly. I mean, we, we have these things called neurons that have a state or they emit something and they have a bias associated with them. But how do they get smarter? Like what exactly what exactly is going on down there? I can't visualize it conceptually. 
it is quite tricky to visualize in the same way if, if you look at a uh, fractal, like a Mandelbrot fractal, and you try to say, how is it that that simple formula gives rise to this amazing complexity, mm. this infinite level of complexity and beauty in that fractal? It is hard to get your head around how a simple mathematical formula can do that. Yeah. And I think there's some analogy there with, with neural networks is that the, um, the algorithms that, that are used to train them are quite simple. Um, the mechanisms aren't particularly, uh, particularly complicated in the maths if, if you to look at it at a very granular level there aren't particularly complex it's just addition and multiplication really and division that we're doing yeah so um but what happens is that you're building up a comp a relatively a complex uh combination of functions so one function feeds into another feeds into another and and, and that combination is quite then difficult to to understand exactly as a whole how what's and why it works and if so you really to like answer the question i mean mm -hmm. an example is if a neural network um you know you you, f you train it with, with data and it all seems to be doing a good job then you put through a sample which seems to be reasonable and it gets it wrong if right. you were to ask why did it get it wrong you can't look at this state and work it out just by looking at those weights and biases that's really interesting so you really have to just tell it no that was wrong try again and something else happens or um, you might have to do some experimentation on that to try other ones that are similar to try and then anything could it be to do with the you know that it, okay. it, it's quite tricky to in, in that regard and it will it ha will have interesting consequences as um, artificial intelligence becomes uh, more pervasive in things like driverless cars for instance yeah. if the um, if that uses neural networks or other machine learning algorithms and it has an accident who do you blame? Well, you can't go to the programmer and say, look, you know, your algorithm was wrong. There's a bug in there because you, you won't find that bug. If there's something subtly wrong in those weights and biases, it's learnt that you, you can't really, you can't blame it. Okay. As such, you can't blame the programmer. I, I am getting a picture in my head and tell me if this is in any way accurate or, or representative. I'm thinking of routing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and when you have a hundred thousand pipes, let's say, it's a series mm. of tubes, uh, pipes, and you have a, a ping pong ball, and you put it through one, and it needs to go back into another, sort of, a, you know, routing. But you have with with even a hundred, uh, you know, pipes, you've got just ridiculously exponential number of possible routes that things can go mm. through. Is is that really what we're talking about? Just like r routing, so that uh, so that the answer is uh that comes in it's uh, um, I'm, i mean I'm the, it, it's sort of the, the analogy sort of works but i guess if you've got a ping pong ball there's just one ball yeah whereas um the idea with the nets is that you've got lots of inputs and the, the idea is some of them some of them will get kind of switched off yeah some will get switched on or some will be partially switched on yeah. as, as they go through and they combine with other ones yeah if i tie back hmm. to your example about recognizing a number in the end the number itself is a set of values you know two-dimensional matrix that represent you know, white images, versus black yes, or, and it grays in between mm. yeah and that you're literally feeding that array of values to the neurons that's correct and then they go through this trigger triggering path to ultimately get to yes. that's a nine that's right that, which i mean it's fascinating to think about it there's mm. there's a darpa initiative called explainable ai that i've been reading about and uh -huh. there's specific 
goal was to deal with this issue around neural nets. Right. You know? I'm not so worried about blame when an automated car crashes. I think much more like the airline industry does, mm. which is you don't worry about blame. You worry about understanding how it happened so that you can have it not happen again. Yes. And as long as neural nets remain unexplainable, mm. we can't actually improve. Yes. Well, um, yes, I, c- I can see where you're coming from. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and they, I'm reading this stuff from DARPA around explainable AI where their, their goal is not why did you get it wrong, but why did you get it right? Like, mm. what did you see that had And have you, they made progress? That's a great question, right? I mean, it, so, and their mm. theory, you know, the way it was presented on the slide deck, which was lovely, was showing pictures of kittens mm. and having the, the neural net say, that's a kitten, but then being able to say, why is it a kitten? Mm. Because it has fur and claws and eyes and like th- that there's that mm. concept of breaking it down. Mm. But I don't know that a neural net knows that. The difficulty is if you look for those concepts such as uh, fur, clause mm-hmm. um then it is in theory quite possible that those are captured within those uh, hidden layers particularly right. their convolutional layers but the, the problem is those those things they mean a lot to us things like fur and claws but it's quite likely that the neural net the, the way it will have been trained it will have very different concepts if you were to call them concepts at all that right. don't, won't mean anything to us we won't be able to really understand or it won't look very meaningful what those hidden layers are actually doing mm-hmm. they're probably not extracting claws or whiskers right mm-hmm. they're doing something else that right. that won't really mean much to us and that that's the problem i mean in order to get something that that did that was meaningful to us we would need to um really have it share our kind of intelligence and all our knowledge and our background concepts yeah, right right yeah that's it's one thing to to recognize something but it's another to apply all of the memories and understanding of you that's know right. the vast array of nouns we have stored mm. in our think meat yes it's amazing nice. it can do as well as it does when you really consider how little it knows yeah yeah well, and I, I guess, and I've certainly been reading where they're talking about, in, especially in these deep layers, that you can see that there's a point where it discards irrelevant material, that it's mm. like, this is where it recognizes that's where the face is, mm. and then goes to the next face of whose face. Mm. Yes. That, that, so there, I mean, there's bits where I'm thinking, well, mm. maybe we can understand where these things go wrong and, and can be better. It's just an interesting. I. It, it's interesting to me this this idea that halfway through the neural sequence, mm. you could stop and say, "What do you know now?" Yes. Versus actually getting mm. only to the answer. Mm. So, um, are there obviously there are tools that we're going to use once we know how our model works and we know how neural networks work. It's a little bit easier to understand how to use a tool and you use it appropriately. Um, where do you start with that? And I guess the options go all the way from. You know, running something on your phone probably to uh, the cloud. Yes. Yeah. It depends on the what problem you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Really, on that, and and it, it is a it is a, um, a, a rapidly changing industry. Um, so it's it, it this changes from one year to the next. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody's still very much mm-hmm. experimenting. I'm thinking back to the show we did with was it Kevin Scott about the intelligent edge. Oh yeah, and just this idea that you would may do this training you know, back at the lab, but the trained models can get deployed to edge devices mm. so that, it yes. ra- you know, rather than sending the images back to your store, you're sending the analysis back to the store, moving a lot less data. Yes. Yes, that makes sense. Um, how, you, how does you parallelism really, come um, into play? 
Well, it's very conducive to parallelism. Um, neural nets uh, training and, and execution is conducive to parallelism. So um, the, the, there's two ways. You can use your microprocessor to parallelize using the calls. Um, or the, the way that most of the, the, the big libraries work is that they'll use the, um, the graphics processing units. GPUs, yeah. Because the, these yeah. are, um, they're very conducive to that because you're performing these simple kind of computations that are similar to the computations that you perform when you're, um, playing a 3D game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. that in 3D, you're talking about reticulating splines. Mm-hmm. And yes. here you would be back propagating biases. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But either way, they're simple scalar math functions That's that are correct. propagated across yes. a lot of nodes. Yes. Easy for me to say. Scaled across mm. lots of nodes. That's the that's the key right there. <laughs> <laughs> Little equation. <laughs> Very wide. Parallel. Yeah. Well, hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to interrupt this talk on artificial intelligence and throw in a little natural stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do a good job of that, my oh, friend. Oh, thank you Yeah, you, you so knocked much. that one out. Yeah, thanks. I figured. That was an easy one. I mean, well, yeah, there's plenty of... That was a meatball, man. As <laughs> I saw the topic, I'm like, boom. You know, this, yeah, all you got to do is reverse the terms, right? If, if it's going to be artificial intelligence, there must be artificial dumbness. <laughs> <laughs> the natural dumbness. Yeah, there's certainly natural dumbness. All right. Well, it's actually uh, time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card, compliments of Progress Telerik, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today. Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, with alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive docs, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com slash download. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Jakob Sturk. Congratulations, Jakob. <laughs> no golf clap. Real claps. Real claps. Real claps. <laughs> yeah. And Jakob, just, who's also a uh, Two Keto Dudes listener. Oh, also. nice. Shout out to Jakob. He says, I'm a huge fan. And I said, yeah, but you're getting smaller. Jakob <laughs> <laughs> uh, won the uh, $200 Amazon gift card from Progress Telerik just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member of the fan club, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club, but you got to sign up to win. We also like to ask our guests, Joe, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. Um, I think smart lighting would be good. The ability to paint your walls and colors and the the Philips Hue, the smart light bulbs that go any color. Yes. Or even ones that, you know, project something onto a wall or that you can completely change your room with. Making paint obsolete. Yes. No, I love that. We, we certainly have a couple of hues floating around the ba- the great room in my place. Yeah. And, it, you know, Halloween, they're all orange and purple. And Yeah. yeah, It's yeah, an and, interesting idea. Well, and you can induce seizures really well because they will go to cycling different <laughs> colors. Like, <laughs> it's like yeah. look away. And, right. 
I like to, you know, have my office all white and then have the color reflect my mood. There you go. So my mm. wife knows whether to interrupt me or not. <laughs> <laughs> the room is red. Just walk away. Just walk away. <laughs> I mean, the, the fun part is, I mean, five grand. These hue bulbs aren't that expensive. You, you'd have a house full of them. You probably could, yeah. Yeah. You'd get a lot with that. And they, but they're all connected to Wi-Fi, so right. you're going to need like a separate subnet in your in your network <laughs> just for all your light bulbs. So the fun part about that is going to Best Buy, which is you know in America that's where we go get electronics, one of the places anyway. And you go up for a specialized you know Wi-Fi thing that yep. doesn't need all the bells and whistles. And the guy's trying to upsell you on all this stuff, and like, look, <laughs> I know what I'm buying. That's the one I want the sixty dollar version, right? Because it's going to sit in a corner. It's going to have exactly three clients. Yeah. That's all it's ever going to be. Right. True enough. I would probably, if you're going to get 100 hues, I'd probably order them online. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, let's dive back into this because I'm loving the idea. I, I really appreciate your position, Joe, on this learn it from scratch mindset. Mm. Because there's an awful lot of tooling and so forth. I think it's concealing a lot of what's really yes. going on here. So you're literally just coding the pieces in LinkPad in front of the, in front of everyone or you know when you're presenting this and then running those tests can you actually put that that demo together like the number recognition demo it's got to be really compelling to yes, show a graphic of a number and then see that this little neural net is getting that mm, number correct that's right and and there is a there is a, a bit of uh, i've pre-written most of the code because there's quite a lot of well plumbing just to connect the neurons together and to draw mm. the to do the visualizations to draw everything so you can see what's happening in right. real time but the actual algorithm is something that's pretty i i can capture that pretty simply the algorithm involved in in firing and and um and training mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is it as simple as if x then x <laughs> else x is zero um well that's pretty much that's the relu function and it's um that's one of them we also we do some addition and some multiplication okay and that's some pretty heavy much lifting it. math man i'm intrigued mm. what is anything you want to elaborate on there um, the, yeah, the training process for the network is really just the training process for each neuron. It, mm -hmm. it's, there's not a lot more to it than that. I mean, that there's one tricky aspect of backpropagation, uh, which is how do you get from the um, from a layer of neurons when you're looking at the uh, what I call the the, the votes yeah. for change, yeah. which is really the gradient of the of the um, loss function how do you how do you propagate that backwards but mm. um you that is actually simple if you 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 think about it in a certain way which is that you, you're basically taking a weighted sum you just you just make that weight it's some go backwards um and, and that's how you can and so you're taking like half of that sum against the first neuron and then half it again for the next neuron um you well, you don't back. have to have it you, you you well you could you you could either add them all together Right. Or you could take the average. Mm. Um, whether you add them or average them really doesn't make any difference, except that you, um, if you end up with bigger numbers, you might need to adjust your learning rate. That's the step size you take mm. in, okay. in, mm. in proportion to, to the numbers. So you have a f quite a few knobs to tweak uh, to get to train, to get the neural network to be more accurate. So is there a lot of that? Is there a lot of like, mm, let's try this one. Ah, that didn't work. Tweak that. Yes, so there is a, a yeah. lot of it. For instance, how do you come up with a, a, the optimum learning rate? Mm -hmm. That's the step size you take each time you make an adjustment. Um, that's that is um, a lot of involves manual tweaking. Yes, yeah. and if you you know you make if you want to be um, 
to be quite sophisticated with that, you can automate that or write heuristics or even get the neural network itself to teach its own learning rate. But um, yes, there are quite a few knobs, um, uh, but we, the, the minimum we need to get it working really is that we need a learning rate, we need a, an activation function for the neurons, and that, that's pretty much it. So you, you were describing that and number. And a loss function, obviously, yeah. which describes how the, uh, the thing that we're trying to minimize. You've got to be very careful when you, you, opt, when you want to optimize, uh, that, because essentially the process is you keep making little changes to see whether you can make it better. Mm. But you have to be very careful how you define what is better. Right. Because the machine, well, we set the rules and the machine will follow them. It will, it will do whatever we say. So, I mean, isn't better as close to 100% accurate as possible? I'm, I'm sticking with the number recognition because I think it's mm. real, but not yes. too complex. Mm. Yes. The, the problem with if, if, we, if we look at the uh, using the accuracy as a measure, right. that's good right at the end. We can say, okay, this is how well we've done. But when we're making those small little increments, we don't have access. We don't know whether that's going to make one more test case work or not. Yeah. Right. right. So we, we need something that we, that we can actually monitor as, as we're going along. But is, isn't that turning up the training step? There's more likely that you move somebody into the wind column that wasn't in the wind column before yes you just need to know um you need to to wait those um those training steps so that they're, they're going to move the total uh loss or the to the total wrongness uh in the right direction if, right. if you like um so i mean the, the the simple answer to that is what we, we usually do is, is just take the square of the error and that happens to work out very well for, uh, as a loss function so the the software that you wrote is it uh, fully functional to use in a variety of different use cases and uh, or yes it's a general it purpose network it's not yeah. designed specifically for image processing mm -hmm. and is it anything that uh, obviously you're sharing it right yes it's yeah, available on linkpad so you go to the samples and hit download more samples and then you can uh, it's in the uh, conference section I guess what I'm asking is, is there any problem too big that it couldn't solve? Oh, absolutely. It is designed to be relatively simple. Um, so okay. it, it can, does quite a good job of the um, uh, handwriting recognition for those yeah. digits. Yeah. Yes, of course, there are problems too big for it to solve. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, how easy it would be to take that and, and turn that into something that can solve more elaborate problems. But mm. I think there's a point where, you know, you, you've got, once you've, you've really used it for what it was designed for, like, Getting that understanding of how this thing works, right. it's probably time to move on to, to uh, using a library for doing those uh, those kind of problems. Right, but uh, but it, as Richard said, really love the idea that you know you can actually see the code working in a very simple way and step through it. Mm. Yeah, uh, is is it something that you step through, or are there so um, many iterations that you can step through <laughs> it? But um, and it, there's a visualizer, so you can actually see the colors oh. changing of the neurons as it trains. Interesting, because oh, it trains great. quite slowly. So you can actually watch the colors change as, as it get, the biases and weights take form. Wow. All right. Now I'm completely intrigued. No, I, you, to, I, I know that tone of your voice. If yeah, we, if we were in our studios, you'd be typing right now. Like, I would. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be downloading yeah, it and just like, play with look it. at the blinky lights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very cool. So where can we get it? Um, if you download LinkPad and go to the samples, um, there's a link to download uh, more samples in there. There's there's a set of built-in ones, and this is one of the extras. So if you scroll to the bottom of the the extras list, um, there'll be a link for this conference session. Nice. Wow. What are your plans for it? Moving ahead. Um, I'm probably going to move on to something else. <laughs> <laughs> really? So what else um, is... Uh, did this start as a learning mm, tool for you and you've decided to share it with others? Yes. I mean, I, I was just very interested in myself how sure. that works. Yeah. And, and I wanted to... to 
understand it properly. Sure. Now, why wouldn't we just stay with that? What What am I going to get now that I understand mm-hmm. moving to an ML.net or the cognitive services in Azure? You'll get, you'll get a whole lot of other uh, machine learning models, mm-hmm. and you also get other kinds of um, neural network layers, such as convolutional layers for mm-hmm. image processing. You'll also get... Um, uh, the ability to optimize and run it on graphics processing units, right? And yeah. you'll have access to pre-trained models as well with with some you know millions of images. Yeah, right. Right. And of course, cognitive services—you get all the models too, and just the high level. Hey, what's yes. this? Yeah, where you don't have to do any of that stuff. But you are back to that black box effect. You don't really, yeah, know what's going on. You can't tweak it. Well, yeah. Or yeah. you only get to tweak it the way the knobs they give you. Yeah. As opposed to it was all your own code in LinkPad, and you can. Change anything you want to change. I like. You'll find a lot approach. of the knobs are quite similar. Right. Um, to, to, I mean, once you get you understand the the uh, ha- having written it yourself um, and made some mistakes, um, you'll find a lot of the stuff will make sense. Can we talk a little bit about the whole overfitting effect? Like, have you? Can you demonstrate that? I did demonstrate level? that in yeah. the demo. I demonstrated overfitting. So what I did was I improved the. Um, uh, I used a, a more powerful uh, loss function mm-hmm. on the, on the final layer, um, and we ended up. We ended up getting um, 99.9%. In fact, we could easily have got 100% accuracy on the training data, or very close to 100% accuracy on the training data. Now, what happened... Can you just back up and tell us what overfitting is? um, uh, This this will explain what overfitting is. So we got very good accuracy on on the training data, but then when we tested it on another smaller set of data that it hadn't seen... Mm. It didn't do quite so well. It was only 98% instead of yeah. close to 100. Right. So what had happened was that it had, it had latched onto some, a lot of specific features of that training set. Okay. And it was unable to generalize those so well to data it hadn't seen. And that's uh, what overfitting is. Right. It, it fits okay. the training data too well, if anything. And then doesn't, that doesn't translate to, to, uh, doing well with data it hasn't seen. Your test data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the, and if I remember correctly with this number set, it's like 10,000 that you train with and 50,000 that you can evaluate. Um, th- this is 50,000 right. that you train with and then 10,000 that you test with. That you test. And that's quite a common ratio. Okay. Mm-hmm. You build with five times more data than you test with. That's quite common to use okay. that ratio. Yes. And then mm. you, you are hoping that the percentage accuracy matches between the train set and the yes, test set. Yes, it will never be quite as high, but you're hoping it's not, it's not too much lower. Um, it, overfit is simply a nice way of describing that phenomena right. where, where it, it's, it's quite a bit higher. But I mean, it, I would feel like if you're doing 99 on the training set and 98 on the test set, I'm just not that unhappy. But no, maybe although I'd... actually we were getting close to 100. Right. So if you look at it the other way around, like what percentage did it get wrong? We're down to one in a thousand, right? right? If you got ninety nine point wow. nine something, you, you you can it could have even been one in ten thousand. So that, that's nines. huge compared to to the yeah. So yeah. Uh, it does make the other fitting look look more um, uh, egregious. Sure. In that case, I, I but in think, the end, yeah, it as you get closer, mm. you get worse results out of the test. As you get closer with the with the training results, you make the test results look worse. They can actually happen, and that happened in our case because we actually. By putting that uh, kind of exotic loss function in there, while we improved the the uh, training accuracy, we actually decreased the test accuracy slightly over using the it's standard true. loss function mm. in this particular case. Now that won't always be the case, right? It it, it, it you know your mileage will vary depending on on, on the scenario. Wow. Do you find 
making you could make multiple models training on the same set with different sets of values and get good results across a bunch of them like or is there one right way like with a um, given set no uh, it, it, there's no one right way because it it everything everything depends right it, it, right so yes you can repeat you can try lots of different um activation functions you can tweak the high parameters in lots of different ways and for your particular situation that'll work well it doesn't mean it'll work well in other scenarios right and you also have to be a little bit careful when you start doing that because you know if you spend too long and and coming up with too many different combinations you you might end up just happen to pick one that fits the the test data Right. right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Sure. Now you're right. overfitted to the so test data. Now you need a third set called yeah. validation data. Right. right? You keep <laughs> another set you lock away called validation yeah. to know in the end how good you actually were. Huh. But you see, I mean, presuming you're building the uh, this number recognizer, now you put it out into the wild. Are you still looking at its results routinely and sort of saying, is, is it actually maintaining that success rate that we hope for? Um, well, this is a fixed set of data I'm using, right. so I've not tried it with any new, new data sets. Right. Oh. Well, and, you, and you, there okay. lies, you know, the, you, like, right, it could, it may, may with a third set of data not do near as well with either. Or, um, mm. Yes, yes. Given that I have, you know, I am comparing uh, different models and different uh, functions mm -hmm. it, it would be a good idea yes to have a validation set just to make sure that when i said look this activation function works the best that it, it is actually consistent that that's probably that is a good point mm -hmm. so let's say somebody's using this to recognize their numbers and you get a you know positive recognition on it can those numbers then be added to your test data or to your training data and so it just con continuously keeps getting new samples of what is what are correct um, yes, that, that is the way that a lot of neural networks operate. They, yeah. So that they, they do keep um, uh, they keep track of um, if they've got labeled data. The data coming in is labeled, so you mm. know what the answer, the correct right. answer is. Right. Then you can keep using that to expand your training set. Yeah. Why not? So you were talking about moving on to the next thing, and I may have jumped the gun there. Uh, but what's what's the next thing for you? Um, well, I think .NET Core is going to become become quite big now, so mm -hmm. that's going to to mean LinkPad's going to going to have to move in that direction. So, sure, um, being able that. to consume .NET Core, yes. Uh, I, can, I presume you're depending on Rosalind for a lot of what you're doing inside of LinkPad. Yes, that's correct. Right. So yes, you're you're most of the way there. Then. Um, yes, exactly. Because yes, and and I think .NET Framework is moving in the direction of .NET Core. So, sure, the the next version is going to be um, in sort of a hybrid yes. thing. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. Uh, Joe, thank you very much. This has been thrilling and enlightening, and I can't wait to download this stuff and play with it. Thank you. It's really yeah. cool. Thanks. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. 
See you next time. Got a transmitter band, buddy.